One thing that I hear frequently, and I think it's human nature to a certain degree, is that whenever someone is sick, particularly when it's a chronic illness, but a lot of times when people are sick, they think they're the only ones who get sick like that. They feel as though they're very unusual. It's podcast number 41 at joettecalibres.com. Today we get to listen in as Joette shares with us some of her family's holiday traditions. In addition, we get to hear how our suffering may not be so different after all. And finally, Joette shares a recent experience she had helping her son with a cold virus and how to know when it might be pertinent to employ homeopathy and when to let a virus take its course. Now let's get started. here today with Joette, and we're excited to bring you another podcast. Joette, welcome. Oh, thanks for doing this, Kate, as always. Okay, so it's the holiday season, and I'd like to know from you, Joette, what are some of your family traditions? Or well, you told me you were going to ask me this question. I had to really think about it, because I don't think there's anything really that unusual about our family traditions. We just all get together, my sons, and my parents, my father, unfortunately, just passed away a couple of months ago, but it would have been with my parents and my brother and an occasional stray cousin. Um, now it's uh, everyone the same, minus my, my beloved father. Um, and I might add, it just so happens the day we're recording this, it's not when this is going to be running, but today happens to be the first day of Hanukkah. So shalom to those who are um, celebrating the Hanukkah holiday, but for you and me, it's Christmas. And my holidays are not that much, my Christmas is not that much different, but I do remember when Christmas was different. My father came from a very large family. There were 14 children. And so when I grow, my, my father was the second youngest. And when I was growing up, we used to get together on Christmas Eve, all of us. And when I mean all of us, there were probably close to 100 people. And all it was was food and fun and playing and staying up till really late. We got to stay up till, you know, until we fell and we went to midnight mass. And, and then we'd come back to my aunt and uncle's house and they had five kids and there must've been, oh, I don't know, maybe 50 kids. And so, and, and they were all my cousins. Some of them were first cousins. Some of them were second cousins. It didn't matter after a while, you kind of lose track. And it was an absolute blast. And we did this every year, my entire growing up years. And so for me, especially having just lost my father, um, and he was the last one in the 14 children, including all of their spouses, um, it's a different kind of a Christmas. It's a reflective Christmas. And, and I will be spending time with some of my cousins, who I'm very, still very close to. Um, and most of them, of course, have their own family, so it's not like they're going to be coming to visit us necessarily, but I will see them during the season. So they'll stop by, and we'll eat, and we'll hug, and we'll all cry because we've had a couple of deaths besides my father in our family this year, and it's, it's always hard to say goodbye to those that we loved so much. So um, that's my Christmas this year. It's still going to be a good one. I have my beautiful sons, and my wonderful husband and my mother and brother, and that will all work together. So I think it'll be a, still be a, a, a pretty nice tapestry of uh, celebration. 
That sounds really nice. I know it's probably a sad holiday this year, maybe more than others for you, but it is so nice to still have family get together. And, and I think that's one of the things that brings us comfort is having family together during those times. So oh, I couldn't do it without them. I really, I couldn't do it without it. And just being with my cousins over the last couple of months, not only the wake and funeral, but we do, we hang out together. We go to dinner together. They come over and stop over and we're always calling each other. And I have so many cousins, I can actually get to pick and choose. <laughs> wow. That's great that they all live so close to you. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's I don't great. think that happens very much in families these days. No, it doesn't. And even for those who are in other states, we still stay in touch and they come in. And we, we, you know, now with Facebook and all that business, we all stay more in touch, even, even, uh, even in today's world. So New Year's Eve, where did you usually go? Because with 100 people in your family, where would you stay? Oh, well, we would just sleep on the floor. Oh, so <laughs> goodness. Wherever you ended up, you just slept there. There were mattresses all over the place for the event, and there were lots of blankets, and my parents would bring pajamas. We'd be in our nice, you know, our good clothes. That was Christmas Eve. Our good <laughs> we went to, to um, uh, Midnight Mass, and then when we got back from Midnight Mass, depending on our age, of course, then my parents would bring our pajamas, and a lot of the kids would put their pajamas on, and then we'd just hang out and play all night. It was always oh, such a blast. It was so great until we just dropped from, from the excitement <laughs> to the fun and all the food and cookies and stuff that we normally wouldn't eat as much of. And pasta. Pasta and meatballs and brujol um, and, I mean, you name it. We had it all, you know, gardoons that were made that were, you know, picked in the spring and, and saved for then and, um, you know, uh, you name it. We had it all. Eel. Eel is a very big thing in Sicily. Oh, I know you're making a funny face. Eel, I love eel, actually. And we eat eel on Christmas Eve. That's a Sicilian um, uh, tradition. And so sometimes there'd be eel. Sometimes there wouldn't. And the kids would go, eel, eel, yuck. But now, since that time as an adult, I've made eel on Christmas Eve because I want my kids to hold on to some of those traditions, the food, the religious, and the family traditions. I think it's important. So how do you purchase eel? You go to the grocery store and you say, can I have one eel, please? Yes. You go to the eel <laughs> store. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine so, where you buy yeah, eel. You know, well, listen, in Buffalo, New York, where I live, there are a lot of Sicilians. And so there are certain stores there who cater to specific, you know, ethnic groups. And so I go to the store where they cater to um, Italian and Sicilian. And then you find, you know, chestnuts. That's a big thing and Sicilian families, chestnuts, and you roast them on the fire, that kind of thing. There's, so there are lots of nuts, lots of almonds, lots and lots and lots of almonds everywhere. And there are almond shells all over the place because they're such a mess. And so that's a big part of it too. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we, we do. It's, there's always fish on New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, excuse me, and eel was the, is the, probably one of the most important. That does not sound very appealing. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound really great, but probably how you cook it, it, it is good because... Oh, it's absolutely delicious. And I will tell you that I love foods like that. I like the strange stuff. I, I like, you know, I like sweetbreads. I like Rocky Mountain oysters. I like liver. I like kidney stew. I love those kinds of foods. And I don't, as far as I'm concerned, I don't get enough of them. I love tripe. That's also very Italian. Have um, you ever had blood soup? Yeah, duck blood soup. That's Polish. Yeah, it's it Polish. is. I'm Polish, and that's what my family grew up with. But you tell people that, and then they sort of freak out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, just, you guys just eat your Twinkies, okay? And you put them in your microwave and then have the diet soda. And then meanwhile, I'm going to eat my duck blood soup and hearty and strong and reproductive. Right. <laughs> so do you make any New Year's resolutions? It's always about eating. It's always about, I've got it. I've got to stop the chocolate. That's what my, most often, that's my New Year's resolution. And then by March, it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> the last well, three months is pretty good. Yeah, it, it actually is pretty good. And so it's either chocolate or, you know, I love sweets. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of my downfalls. And I don't eat junky sweets. I, you know, I make it myself. I make cannolis from scratch. Cannoli from scratch. I mean, that means you're getting the, the, the little um, uh, dough. I make my dough, roll it out, wrap it around uh, little rollers. And, 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 I, and I make sphingy, which are little um, donuts, little Italian donuts. I make everything from scratch. And so it's, it's um, hard to resist when I'm making that for my family to stay away from that. And then once I uh, trigger that uh, desire for those sweets, that's very hard to stop. I can't just eat them Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then, and then I have a son who makes a Yule log from scratch every year and he uses mascarpone cheese. I mean, it's just heaven. Wow, um, that sounds amazing. I know your sons cook, don't they? They do. They do. And they all live together and they cook meals every night. At least that's the last I heard, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they've been telling me they're still doing that. They make chili and um, stock and they make roasts and roast chicken and they make everything's from scratch. And I have one set who loves to make pastries. He's the one who makes the Yule log. He makes everything from scratch. No mixes. You know, there he is whipping away. And when he was, when I used to homeschool our kids, uh, when he finished his day of work, he would go into the kitchen and whip up, you know, like challah bread or, you know, something like that. And my kids are really into cooking and I think it's my fault. I'm wow. Sure it's my fault. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. It it's is a wonderful great. thing to pass on to your children. Yep. Yep. Well, unless they all turn fat, then we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're young boys. <laughs> Which sure. could happen. Yeah. Right. At this point, they're pretty lucky, but you know, it could happen. <sighs> So today I was meeting with a friend. We were watching our children as they rehearsed for a choir concert and we were talking about homeopathy. And she was saying how her daughter had come down with another um, cold fever type thing. And every year during the choir concert season, she always gets a cold and, and virus, something goes around their family. And so she said, boy, I was so glad that I had taken the gateway to homeopathy last year and I had kept excellent notes of what we did exactly last year during the choir concert when they came down with something because now this year I just went back to my notes and I was able to figure out what I gave her and what what helped and so this year I didn't have to think about it you don't have to look it up again. You go back to your daughter's notes. You go into her file and look it up. There it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really important. And we all get lazy, right? And we stop writing things down. Or Then later on, we have someone ask us, well, what happened? Um, what can I do for the same condition? And that now you don't have a note. And it would have been so easy. But now you have to go and do the research again. And Yep. Don't reinvent the wheel, just jot it down. You don't have to write copious notes. In fact, copious notes is what I discourage people from doing because if they do, if they write too much, now it's like a quagmire they have to get through. Just simple. The date, what the main condition was, um, what remedy you used, what potency, what frequency, and then come back 
after it's done and say, okay, within five hours, within three days, you know, for these are acutes I'm talking about, of course, um, very much better, only partially better. Or then you went to the next one because the diarrhea then stopped, but now we got fatigue. So now we go to the next one. So those are very simple, very, keep it really, really simple because otherwise you'll be discouraged from wanting to go through all that reading again. What are the common things that you see from your students or your clients that you wish that you could say, here's what you can do in a different way or maybe to help yourself and your family? You know what I mean? Are there maybe little things like that, tips that you want to give us, things that you see over and over again that people could do just a little bit differently and it could really help them? Well, one thing that I hear frequently and I think it's human nature to a certain degree, is that whenever someone is sick, particularly when it's a chronic illness, but a lot of times when people are sick, they think they're the only ones who get sick like that. Mm. They feel as though they're very unusual. And the reason they feel that they're unusual is I don't believe it's self-absorption. I believe that it has to do with, they look around, they're suffering, and no one else looks like they're suffering. And so they conclude that, well, it must be because everyone else is well and I'm not. And so I have an unusual case. And so when I tell them, for example, that a particular protocol works for approximately 80 to 85% of the population, they think the first thing people say when I say that, or what I know that they're thinking, because later on they, <laughs> they share it with me, <laughs> is that, oh, I must be part of that 20%. I'll bet, I, what if I'm part of that 15%? Then I won't be helped. So because they're, they're thinking like Eeyore, well, I guess life just stinks. <laughs> and that's the way we feel when we're sick. You know what I mean? We do feel that way. Right. So we have to remember that we're much more alike than we are different. We live in a society that has emphasized our differences. And I tend to disagree. We're really very alike in many, many ways, even across other societies, other parts of the world. Generally speaking, humanity is, uh, the cultures can be quite different, but human experience, human suffering is across the board. And so are fears and anxiety, etc. The fear of suffering can also be universal. Now, some people are more fearful than others, and sometimes it's because they become um, uh, shopworn, I guess, <laughs> or maybe gun shy is a better way to put it. They've had so many illnesses one after another, and they've had so many failures with drugs and, and efforts that they've put into it, and they've still come up short, that they, they believe that is the evidence that indicates that they indeed are a difficult case, when really what it is is they just haven't employed homeopathy. Hmm. You know, unfortunately, homeopathy is the last place people go in, Western, in the West, well, especially in, in North America. We've got it all backwards. You know, people go first to get the colonoscopy. Wait a minute. There's, what's go There's nothing wrong with you. Why are you going for a colonoscopy? Why would you do that? Why would you subject yourself to that? If, if nothing other than the inhumane way you get that kind of a, of a test. For crying out loud, who's willing to do that? Well, somehow this marketing has taught them, no, this is what you do when you're 40 years old plus. No, no, no. You save that colonoscopy for when there's something really wrong. Now we use technology and general anesthesia and drugs 
to find out what's going on. And even then, I would say, if you've got some time, you use something else, you use homeopathy or change your nutrition before you go. We've got the pyramid upside down. Well, Joe, what about those people that say, what? but there is a history in my family of colon cancer or, you know, things like that. What do you say to them? Oh, well, if you want to list histories, you've got everything in your family. We've got colon cancer in my family. We've got diabetes, got breast cancer. I mean, I've got a long list just like anybody else. But if I followed that list, all I would do is spend time in waiting rooms and go for testing. Yeah, that's, that's for, for me, that's not a way to live. I would much rather be hanging out with my husband. I'd much rather be hanging out with my kids, traveling. I'd much rather be walking on the beach or making a meal, not sitting in a waiting room to be manhandled. And excuse me, I mean, I know that that's, you know, there is a time for that. So don't get me wrong. I don't think it's always wrong but it's grossly overused, these tests, grossly. Mammograms, really? Mash the most sensitive area of a woman's body so that it then hurts to find out if she's got breast cancer? How about just palpating? There's an idea. What do you know? They used to use that. Were the doctors stupid then and now they're smarter? No, they just have machines now. How about just using um, thermogram, thermography? Right. Or how about just assuming that life is good and stop digging for an illness? Stop trying to find illness. If you keep searching, you'll find something. You'll find a polyp. You'll find a precancerous. You'll find something if you dig hard enough. And that is a prescription for a life of angst. Mm-hmm. And, and a life of angst is not a good life. I think... What happens is we see people, whether it's friends or family members, and we see them going through whether it's cancer or things like that. And then we start to fear those same things, right? Right. And we start to wonder, well, what if this cough or this feeling, this pain that I've had, what if that's cancer or something else? And And then we go down that path. And recently, I've been thinking a lot about just being positive, you know, just not trying not to worry and go down those paths. And, and I know we're talking about homeopathy, but I also think that it's important, like you said, we always think that we're that 20% or that 1%. Let's just try, I think if we try to be more positive, that we're going to feel better. <laughs> just the- well, someone told me the other day that they had a condition and the doctor told them that they have, it's a 40% chance that it's cancer. I said, no, 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 no. It's a 60% chance that it's not cancer. You've got to turn it around. And, and it, if you're saying stay positive, I think that the real way to do that is to do useful work. Do purposeful work. Make a meal for your family. Go to a neighbor's house and help someone who's sick. Take soup. I've got a friend whose who's father's sick right now and she's tending to him. I'm bringing soup over there tonight. That is go to church, go to temple, be active, do good work on a day-to-day basis. The less you do, the more your, your brain goes cockeyed. Mm-hmm. Right. So be active. I mean, listen, I don't have to tell most of the people who, who follow me because I know what kind of people follow me. They are the doers in the world. <laughs> I, I know them because they're, they become my clients, they become my students, and I hear them and I see how hardworking they're. And many of them are homeschooling moms and and fathers too, but mostly it's, it's mothers. And I see how hard people work or they have ranches or they have farms that they're tending to, to livestock. These are not the people who are sitting back and, and, and letting someone else take care of them. These are the people who are the underpinnings of society. 
This is what girds our society as people like that. So, you know, I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but the point is, is that if you have a moment of that in your life, fill it with something, fill it with something lofty. I always say, fill it with, with prayer work, fill it with reading your, your Bible, your catechism, your Torah, read, you know, that's what you fill you. Fill it with beautiful music by Mendelssohn and Beethoven. And, you know, that's where you, how you fill it. Fill it with loftiness. Forget the stupid television shows that are on. <laughs> right. They just bring us down. They're immoral and they just bring us down. Right. So let's dive into the mind of Joette Calabrese for a moment. And let's hear. Oh God, that's about- not very deep. You know, I hope you're like shallow water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joette, you are, you're so fun to be with because you're funny and you're passionate. So, um, let's, <laughs> so no, it is fun to dig, dig into your mind, but let's talk a little bit about a case and see how you processed it. You said a little bit about your son, how he oh, got. Oh, oh yeah. Even before I start there, because I know I've talked about this so many times in the past, but it is definitely worth repeating. I always say, Make sure you're relevant. Get relevant now. As a mother of children who I homeschooled, and I and the last day when I finished homeschooling, I cried like a baby as I closed up the cabinet and started giving the books away. And my kids were laughing at me, but I was crying. I was like an it like a blubbering idiot crying because the day it was over. The whole thing was over. My son was going to college. It was all done. And um, and I said, oh my! I'm thinking to myself. Who, I, who am I to them now? I'm no longer their teacher. I mean, obviously I'm their mother, but the point is that you vest so much into them to, to say, just say, okay, off you go now. No, that's not my style. So I want to be relevant in their lives. And so I've said this before, and excuse me for being repetitive, but um, a good way to be relevant is to have the stuff they want. <laughs> Not just the food, right? <laughs> Not just the food. Although food's important too, but you got to have the stuff they want. What do they want? Mom, I don't feel well. Now you tell them exactly what to use. Of course, they've got their own remedies. I make sure they've got the kits and they own as many remedies as we can stuff into their medicine cabinet. But um, I've got the answers. And that's what we all want to have for our children. We want to be able to give our children the answers, even though they're adults. My children are adults. And not more than half an hour ago, before you and I started this podcast, my oldest son, who's uh, you know, 31, um, he's a pilot, um, you know, uh, Skyped me. He Skypes me almost every day, which is great. And he said, Mom, I've got this chest cold that's coming on. Uh, now, um, he knows some of the medicines, but... He didn't, wasn't so sure about this one. So I got to talk to him for 15 minutes, not just about his chest, but about, okay, when, when's your next flight? Oh, I'm leaving tonight. What are you doing now? Oh, I'm making my dinner so I can take it on the flight. With, and so I get to be a part of his life. Meanwhile, I've just um, given him the, the, the name of the medicine and how to use it. So I told him aconitum, 200, mixed with bryonia, 30, and to take it every three to 12 hours, depending on how severe it is. And, and get into bed, please. Get into bed when you get home from that flight. And, um, and drink some kombucha and, and maybe some bone stock and you'll p- probably be fine by tomorrow. So I get to be um, close to him. And, and I told him I was going to talk about this today on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what does you he still have us. Yeah, you still have us, don't you? I said, you bet. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I want you part of my life. And listen, when he gets married and has kids, which I'm waiting for, 
But I, <laughs> when he gets married and has kids, my guess is they're going to be a, even more a part of my life because that's what happens when kids get married and have their own children. Then they come closer to their parents. But meanwhile, while they're still single, you know, I don't want to lose those years. I want them close by. So um, it's a great strategy. It's a mothering strategy. So uh, we're, we're imparting our wisdom. Look, you don't have to be an expert in homeopathy, although it doesn't take too long to get that way, especially if you're just using my blog. Really, it's all free. Remember, folks, just use that blog. I, I mean, that what I just gave to my son is right on my blog. So um, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be uh, good every time or be correct every time. But if you can hit it, 80, let's go back to 80% again, 80% of the time. That's pretty darn, those are good numbers. Right. So how did I think it through? It's this simple chest. Had he said cold, like cold in his nose or his sinuses, I would have said cold calm by boron, super easy. Or maybe some ferrum fos, or maybe some sanguinaria and belladonna. If it was painful, we might use sanguinaria 200 with belladonna three. That's a Banerjee protocol. They use that. Uh, and so is the Econite and Bryonia Banerjee protocol for that matter. But because he said chest and cough, I immediately went to Econite Bryonia. And had this just started with him? Yeah, last night he said it started. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm not looking for them to say, oh my gosh, I'm sick. Call mom. I don't want, you know, someone hanging on my apron strings. I want someone who says, Oh, I'll just go to bed and see how it goes. Maybe I'll just take a bath or something, an Epsom salt bath and see how I feel in the morning. But he knew, <clears throat> he knew he had to fly today. So, and my gosh, they're exposed to all kinds of things in those flights. Right. But I have found that the quicker that you can get the homeopathy in, yes. the better your chances are of really aborting yeah. illness. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing if you use vitamin C. The faster you get that vitamin C in or the faster you use that, you know, um, some people use Alka-Seltzer gold or whatever. It's, it's true for everything. If you catch something in its infancy stage, you're more likely to be able to abort it in its, in its uh, center stage. Okay, so Joette, you've talked before about just sometimes their colds, our bodies. It's a way that we can flush out toxins. We're yes. going to get colds and just letting them ride out. And I know I struggle and I imagine some of our listeners struggle um, how often to just jump right in with that aconite and bryonia and when do we just let it ride? You know, so maybe help us think yeah. through that picture a little. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's for him because he had to work. And I mean, he doesn't have to. He could certainly take a sick day, but he prides himself in never taking sick days. And I know how he feels about it. He was like that all his whole life. So um, it would be nice if he could take it easy, uh, but he can't or he won't. And so I know he won't, so it's better that we give him something now than to let it ride itself out. Plus, the chest is a different, um, a different area, of course. If you're getting a little sinus infection or a little dripping in the, in the post-nasal and it's causing a little sore throat, that's a little different than something going to the chest. The lungs matter, obviously. So, you know, a little conjunctivitis or a little, you know, a little cough or cold that's on the upper end of the respiratory, then I, I'm not so worried about it. But I, what I like to caution folks about is to not freak. Because children, now he's not a child, but children get sick and they're supposed to get sick. That's part of their education. They're supposed to 
I mean, there's, there's a controversy about this and I'm sorry, I believe they're supposed to get sick. And the way that I came to this had nothing to do with what I'd read, but rather what I experienced in my children. What I often found was that, for example, my other son uh, was having difficulty riding a bike at one point when he was a youngster. I can't remember exactly how old that was. And he just couldn't do it. And then he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He's very frustrated. Everybody else was riding their bike, but he just couldn't do it. And then he got sick. He got an ear infection. And after the ear infection, literally, right after the infection was gone, a couple days later, he felt well enough to go back outside and play. He got on his bike and rode it. He was on his two-wheeler. So Rudolf Steiner, um, who is, you know, many people follow his work. He was from the turn of the last century in Germany. And he believed that it was important, not that I follow necessarily all of his works, but he believed that um, it was part of their education and that there's a growth spurt that is a natural growth spurt. I've seen the same thing with another child who was having difficulty reading, couldn't read, couldn't read, couldn't read a sentence, but he couldn't read two sentences. He got sick. And it's almost like they're kind of pushed through the eye of a needle. And they, once they get to the other side, they've cleared it. Couldn't read, couldn't read, got sick, had a sore throat. On the other side of the sore throat, bam, Abel does read. Wow. So it's like a psychological connection or a mental connection to a physical um, experience. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. If you've not seen that, if you're not a mother and you've never watched that, you might question it. But I've seen it too many times to question whether or not there's a reason for these colds. It is a good thing. Hmm. Completing their education. We're building their immunity so that as an adult, they're not getting chicken pox. As an adult, they don't get these colds and flus. They get them as children, as they're supposed to do, as has been done through the ages. So if... It's just a minor cold, sniffles, a little bit of a sore throat. Maybe leave it go for kids. But now if you have someone that has a history of pneumonia and they're coming down and it's a little seems a little more heavy, then... Oh, you do it. Absolutely, yeah. Trina. Yes. Absolutely. And even if it's just a little sore throat and minor cold, you might just take cold calm. I love that medicine. Right. Uh, cold. It's cold calm. C-A-L-M is the second word by Boron. It's excellent. Right. I know a lot of my friends have been using that this season and loving it. So, Yep. Also, oscillococcina made by boron. That's another good one. There are a lot of great remedies. Listen, folks, I always tell people, make sure that you're getting those combination medicines. Buy them all. Buy everything boron owns as, as a combination. Buy everything that Highlands owns. Everything that wash, all of those combination medicines. Um, they are really smart, and it takes a lot less intelligence or, or study, maybe not intelligence is the word, but study, to use those than it does to try to figure out exactly the medicine because they figured it out for you. If it acts, you go back and look at the ingredients and say, oh, no wonder why I got rid of that fatigue. Gelsemium is in there. Or if you don't know that, you look up in your Materia Medica every one of those medicines and learn them. That's how you learn this. You just investigate, investigate, and be curious. And you'll be glad you have them. If you're sick, your family's sick, you can't right. think straight. You don't know what to give them. You just reach for those, say, hey, go take one of those combination. And it's simple, right? Well, when I get sick, my mind turns to mush. I'm useless. I mean, really, mm -hmm. I can't even think of what I'm, what I'm experiencing. So I know what that's like for folks. So um, then I turned to my husband who doesn't know an awful lot of homeopathy, but he knows enough about me 
<laughs> be able to figure out somewhat what I should be taking. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I'm excited for the listeners to um, get to hear a little bit more about what goes on in your brain as you think about cases. <laughs> so thank you, John. Yeah, it's always fun, Kate. Looking forward to it next time. You just listened to a podcast by joettecalibres.com. Where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author Joette Calabrese shared her passion for helping families stay strong through homeopathy and nutrient-dense nutrition. Joette's podcasts are available on iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. If you liked it, please share it with your friends. To learn more and find out if homeopathy is a good fit in your health strategy, visit joettecalabrese.com.